Here we go with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of SBL Shootaround. That means we're really getting to the business end of the West Coast Classic. We've got one month to go of the regular season before we find out who the top four teams are to take part in the finals. And and this is when we really find out who means business, I think, Ben, because teams that might have been treating this as a development season, might have been using it to grow for next year, suddenly when there's a final spot on the line, I think things go up a notch. So it's going to be a fascinating last month of this competition. It's going to be fascinating in terms of the player personnel who is and isn't available for some of these teams in the finals hunt as well. And as we're seeing, we're seeing some upsets, some almost upsets, and we're seeing some blowouts. So it's a, a fascinating competition to follow right now. And, of course, we took SBL shoot-around on the road on Friday night, and, and that was another another new experience for us both, which we can talk about. We got plenty of feedback on our uh, uh, mid-season awards that we talked about last week, especially one award, which became very popular out, out Calamunda Way, which we can talk about. And, of course, on this episode, one of our one of our most special guests that, that I think we've had, and an all-time Australian basketball great, this man is. We're very lucky to have him back in, in Western Australia and coaching in the West Coast Classic right now. And it's going to be a huge honour to have him on SBR Shootaround. So plenty to look forward to. I'm Chris Pike, your co-host. But the man that will have all of all of the insight that you've got to hope for, all of the stories that you can, can never ask for from a 30-plus year journey in basketball in this state. Ben Etridge, thanks for joining me once again. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. And when you say it's um, you know show 15, um, mm. uh, I think they didn't think we'd get past, past show one, so we're, we're doing great. <laughs> I think um, I think the chemistry that we're starting to, to, to build was, was came to the forefront on, on Friday night in that live broadcast, which was... Uh, Again, lots of fun to do, and we saw saw some some good basketball there, and we're starting to see, as you said, the the season start to take shape. We're we're just over halfway, and teams are now making that decision: do they continue on that development path, or do they actually try and uh, put the pedal to the metal and, and and go for a win in this thing? So, yeah, very very interesting season, and uh, lots of fun to be around at the moment. It absolutely is. Now, before we talk more about what we're seeing in the West Coast Classic, our special guest for this week doesn't get much better. We're incredibly blessed, I think, whether it's the SBL or the West Coast Classic, to have a, a man of this caliber coaching back in our league because he, he could do whatever he wanted in a basketball sense. He had such a remarkable playing career in the, in the NBL, playing throughout Europe, playing for Australia, two Olympic Games. This man could do whatever he wanted. He's chosen to bring his coaching talents back home to, to Bunbury. It's pretty obvious who I'm speaking of, but how much are you looking forward to speaking to Mark Worthington, Ben? Oh, immensely. I mean, Mark's a great WA basketball product. He's probably one of our most decorated Absolutely. state country players ever yeah. to uh, to come through the state country program. Um, my first uh, meeting of with Mark officially was as an assistant coach of uh, the state under-18 um, state country team, and Mark had only just finished playing in that team the year before, and um, Coach Steve Hawkins brought him back to talk to the players, um, and he spoke as though he was a 10-year veteran that had already been out of the out of that program and playing NBL. He's such a uh, uh, wealth of knowledge, and and his maturity level, and the way that he played hard, 
um, and got the most out of his ability was just something that we you know, were very keen to impart upon those um, young kids at that time. And um, I'm sure he's doing the same with his group down there at the Slammers this year. So really excited to, to have a chat to him today. And it just happens to be the same week where you lock horns with him on Saturday night at the Eastern Suns. And I tell you what, you and Mark Utley have got no hope of going against that coaching staff. And you've got Wertho, Aaron Edwards, James Fitch. They've well and truly got you covered. Are we able to bring Luke Franco Franklin in as a uh, surprise <laughs> substitution? I think that's the only way we might uh, stand a chance. But yeah, look, couldn't hand a can- hold a candle to those guys. I think Mark and I would be very happy just to sit there and uh, and watch uh, Nigel and Lockie take them on from, from our perspective. <laughs> Let's speak about what you just just mentioned. Then last week we had a had a full rundown and a look at our mid-season award winners, and we'll we'll post that on social media this week so you can have a look at at who we did predict would be. You know, winning winning the West Coast Classic, our MVP, Most Improved Player, Coach of the Year, our all-first team, our next-gen team. But the award that really got people talking, Ben, was the Personality of the Year Award, and that was one that you threw in there, threw in there late. And with a bit more time, I might have I might have had a had a different answer for my prediction, and I ended up predicting predicting you to win it, and I'll I'll stand by that for now. But your prediction of Luke Franklin that got the basketball world, especially out the Hills way, really fired up. And on Saturday night at the game for Kalamunda, we even saw SBI shoot around end up on a T-shirt for the first time, which is which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, look, he's, uh, the groundswell of support up there for Franco has been unbelievable. I believe his uh, Instagram account doubled in size, so he's gone <laughs> from uh, 10, 10 followers to 20. Um, mm. So that's you know that's huge. The line of um, people trying to get autographs and selfies with him at halftime was uh, was unbelievable. And you know the the pressure's on on him now to uh, to continue that as we talk about to our sons guys all the time about consistency, <laughs> um, especially on the road. So, you know, mm. this weekend we'd be looking at a, a big performance from him at, at Belmont. There are a few characters at Belmont as well that he'll have to contend with, but I'm sure that uh, that Franco's up for the challenge. You might even see the return of the Orange Dickies jumper just to make him stand out a little bit more on those photos. But, yeah, look, it was great. Um, all taken in, in good fun. And, um, like I said, Luke's one of those guys that he's... Uh, He's a dyed-in-the-wool Sun supporter, and whatever whatever he's asked to do, um, he's there doing it for us. So those sorts of people make the SBL what, what it is. Well, on Saturday night, when you get back for that home game against the Slammers, who's going to get asked for more autographs, do you think? Mark Worthington or Luke Franklin? Oh, look, I think Franco might have him. Um, yeah, I as think I said, so I know there's a big... A big, a big push for it up there. Um, I think there might even be a, uh, a secondary merchandise stall being set up. Um, Luke Franklin um, beer, beer holders and, and things like that. There might even be a, a special burger at the canteen, uh, the Big Franco. But look, uh, these are things that I'm just hearing around the place yeah. and people are trying to cash in on, on, on the man that is uh, Luke Franklin. You know what now, Ben? If he doesn't win this Personality of the Year award at the end of this season, whether or not it's, it's our award or an official BWA award, it's an absolute travesty of justice. It, it just has to happen from here. Well, as I said um, said to the group, I said it's, uh, it's harder to lose the, the award from here than it is to win it. He's, <laughs> yeah, it he's, a, he's ahead by a long way. Um, and I, I would think it would take a, uh, a huge upset um, for him not to be um, holding that award very high above his head um, at the end of September. Are you happy to concede he's got you covered? Uh, more than happy, you know. Uh, <laughs> on, in these sorts of things, I think, uh, yeah, a guy like Franco, well-deserved, well-deserved if he does take the take it home. <laughs> okay. Well, there, there you go. Anytime you get a chance now on social media between now and the end of the, of this West Coast Classic, 
just remember to vote for vote for Franco because it's just, he just has to has to continue to grow in popularity and he might very well become the most famous person at every West Coast Classic game between now and the end of the season. So make sure you keep your eye out for him, get a photo with him, and post it to our social media. We would love to see love to see it. But Ben, let's get on to a bit more serious matters. We took SBL Shootaround on the road last Friday night and went down to Wally Hagen Stadium. Thank you to the west.com.au for the opportunity for us to, to broadcast both games down there between the Cougars and the Warwick Senators. wasn't quite the close game we expected between the men's teams, largely because you take out Luke Travers, Saber Shannon and Jared Holmes from the Cougars and that's probably three of their four best players. So it didn't help their cause against the Warwick Senators. But I'll tell you what, that was our... The first time for both of us to broadcast a game in that situation. And I can't help but think, if you weren't my co-host, I would have been a nervous wreck. So I think being able to take SBL Shootaround into that setting, I think it saved, saved us both from nervous energy and we had a great time. And that's what this uh, West Coast Classic is is giving everyone. It's that opportunity to do things yeah. that are a bit out of our comfort zone. And I, I guess those nerves and... Um, and feelings that you were feeling before the game would have been similar to, you know, those Coburn kids and, and uh, Warwick kids who are sure. playing their yeah. first game and, and everything's online. So, you know, that's what it's about, um, stepping out of your comfort zone. And I always say you, you, you jump in the deep end and see if you're going to swim. And I think, um, yeah, again, sitting there alongside you, commentating the game, something that um, has crossed my mind in the past but never thought would come to fruition. And uh, what the what the world of basketball takes away with one hand, uh, they provide... Um, with the other so I was very very happy to be given the opportunity and um, yeah enjoyed it immensely yeah and I think I think your insights like everyone would have noticed on, on here on SBR Shootaround your insights are second to none in WA basketball so the fact that I got to just work off you and I could just pose the questions to you and set you up to tell us what was happening I think it I think it really helped so if anybody did get the chance to to watch the broadcast and listen I hope you enjoyed it if you've got any feedback please let us know um and hopefully we get the chance to, to do it again at some stage, Ben. Yeah, well, look, there was the uh, comment that was made to me that I do have a very good face for podcasts, uh, <laughs> perhaps not for the broadcast. So I'll take that feedback on board and um, yeah, up, up the skincare routine in the next couple of weeks <laughs> if, uh, if that opportunity is ever going to arise again. If that was going to come from anybody, it would have been your head coach. Am I right? Oh, look, Mark's been very sheepish after the fashion comments and oh he's trench didn't like his trench coat hair, so didn't like his trench coat like, though he did turn up on the following night at practice in size nine nikes and the short shorts so oh, not sure oh, whether he was wow. hoping to get a run again there was no ankle braces <laughs> but he was uh he was ready to roll okay okay does he does he still get out there the last coach i saw really give himself a serious run was when i went down to a a slammers training session it would have been back in 2017 and they were a bit short on numbers. Gee, Charles Nix took himself seriously out there. He was talking trash, running the point guard spot. He was ta- he was getting really involved. That was the last time I saw a coach heavily get involved. Does does Mark ever get out there? Uh, I think you know Nixie and Mark probably come from the same sort of that sort of football background, and mm-hmm. they do sort of get out there and take it. I know Nixie. Um, having seen him coach alongside him uh, up at Joondalup and on that court next to us, he, he will get out there and um, he's usually getting on defence, which is mm-hmm. a, a strange thing for a coach to do. But, yeah, I think maybe they're both cut from the same cloth and, um, yeah, would, would definitely get out there and set a mean pick to both of them at the moment. Now, some of the action from the weekend. It's hard to see the top four probably changing from here. Given we've got the Perry Lakes Hawks, Warwick Senators, Lakeside Lightning, all having only lost one game so far and the Joondalup Wolves have only lost two. 
And then the teams outside the four have all lost three or more. So it's going to be tough, but I couldn't be more impressed with what I'm seeing from the Willerton Tigers right now. They're, they're a very young team. You take out Damian Scott, Andrew Black, and Lewis Thomas. It's a, it's a bunch of kids that Steve Black's coaching, but gee, they're playing some good basketball. And I think I might have mentioned it last week as well, but they're five and three right now, but they could easily be eight and zero. They're three losses. The first one was against Lakeside where they controlled the game for the first it would have been probably 36 or 37 minutes or just overrun in the last couple of minutes by Lakeside. They lost to Perry Lakes in overtime in a game they could have won. And then they lost to the Redbacks with a with a three-pointer on the buzzer from Marshall Nelson. I think they're a team that isn't getting a lot of attention right now, but prob- probably deserve to be. Yeah, and as we look around the league, it's one of those things, again, uh, in this West Coast Classic. It's coming down to personnel available and personnel coming back in. And couple of those top four teams are losing or could perhaps lose some people in the next couple of weeks, which could send results different ways. If you saw Joondalup goes up to the goalfields, and I know we predicted the goalfields to, to win that one, well, but no did. Lee Roberts yeah. and no, no Robbie Huntington. Lee's status is a bit unknown at the moment, and, and I believe Robbie was injured. So, you know, a, a long-term injury and, and no Lee Roberts for the rest of the year could see the Wolves drop out. Um, and open the door for someone like you know the, the Tigers to jump up into that mm. top four spot. Same thing with the Redback. You know, European teams are, are looking for, for players and, and signing people at the moment. Should a Caleb White or a Marshall Nelson sign um, and, and take up an offer overseas, depending on when their team why We saw Jesse Hunt had to leave yep. almost uh, immediately once he had signed. You know, those European teams, when they say, we want you here, uh, you're on a plane and, and, you, and you're away. So... Those makeups of those teams um, that have sort of put their eggs in those baskets of having those high quality players that are sought after around the world, if they are available for the remainder, then they're they're, they're looking okay. Uh, but someone like Williton, that's kind of gone homegrown, if you will, for the yeah. for this one, they may reap the benefits of having that you now that top you know seven, eight, nine guys all available for the entire duration, similar to what a uh, what a Warwick has done and, uh, and a Perry Lake. Yep. The Senators were the next team I wanted to touch on because I saw them play both of their games last weekend and we saw them dominate against a young Coburn team on Friday and, and they were equally as impressive against a, a really strong, experienced Redbacks team on on Sunday. To, to keep winning, they're now now 6-1 in, in this competition and, and they've just got a group that... I don't think it'll be unsettled. I don't think any of those players are likely to go anywhere. They've still got Corbin Rowe to come back, who put himself through a pretty exhaustive uh, fitness test before the game on Sunday. Didn't quite play, but I would imagine he's very close to a return, and that's a team that already has the experience of of Caleb Davis, Cody Ellis, Justin King, Wani Swaka, Tom Witts, and Ash Litterick, but then exciting young talent like we saw on Friday night, led by... Ethan Elliott, I'd say, and Aaliyah Riak was one who he know he knocked down five three pointers in that game we saw on Friday night, and, and he's probably you know number eight, nine, or ten on the on their bench. They're a remarkably talented team. You picked them for a reason to win this tournament last last week, Ben. I see no reason why you'd be changing your mind. Yeah, not at all. And look, you know, we we talk about development, and for me, there's there's three real key stages to development, and there's there's the underdog phase when. You know, you're out there, you're learning, which we're seeing in those sort of bottom four teams at the moment, the Mandras, the, the Bunburys, the, you know, the Calamundas at the moment, where we're, we're, we're working out what it is and, and we, we're, we're taking our lumps. And then you have that middle of the pack, teams that are, you know, make playoffs, maybe winning a series, losing in a sense, that sort of, sort of area where Warwick has kind of found themselves in the last sort of two or three years. And then that final stage is that, that top dog, when you are the, the team that everyone's chasing and everyone's expecting you to, to win it all. And, 
you can't go through any of those. You can't jump any stages. You can't go straight to being a top dog. Um, you can't you can't miss out the the middle of the pack phase. And what Warwick are getting this season is a chance to be a top dog and and learn how to win. Now we can say what we want about the West Coast Classic. If there's a if there's a trophy, if there's a whatever at the end of it, is there a banner? No. But what they're getting is a chance to play a season, go through a final series, and learn how to win, which is something where they've they've faulted in the last couple yep. of years. So at the moment they're sitting sitting at the top. Perry Lakes is is there. They know what it means to win a championship. They know what it means to be at the top. They're they're in that top dog spot. Whereas Warwick now, this is uncharted waters. Mm. They've got to maintain that focus, um, regardless of what people think of this one. If they can get a win at the end of this season, then that sets them up very very well for next year because they've gone and become a top dog. They now know what it means to win. They now know what it means to have everyone going out and giving you the best swing, and you have to react to that. Um, and we're seeing it. You know, their depth is immense. Um, guys like a guy like Elia React comes off the bench and just goes bang bang bang. Norm yeah. Manyang, um, the yeah. improvement we've seen in him. Um, that lineup that they had on the floor when they had the you know the three or four guys that are all six foot five with seven foot wingspans, just mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like no one in the league can do that. And the depth that they're coming through at every position. Um, and you chuck in Ash Litterick as well. You know, he yep. didn't play in that game against Coburn. They've got well, I think they're swapping position. him around. So similar to what Lakeside's doing with Ferguson and Bigger. So so yep. Nor, Nor then didn't play on Sunday, but but Ash Litterick did. So it's a nice luxury to have. There you go. Norm might have had an Instagram modelling uh, appointment <laughs> that he couldn't, couldn't make it. No, um, he, he was still there in the game to his credit. Oh, he was? Yep. He was? Oh, well, that's good then. Um, but like, <laughs> that, that's what they're getting. You know, if you think about the import they added, that added another layer of depth at that five spot for them, which is now they're, they're really building something. And I think that they're, they're, this season, yep, they're, they're learning, but they're going to be in a great position come 2021. The, the one more team I did want to mention before we move on was the Goldfields Giants. Last week we talked about how we really liked what Wayne Creek was building. They'd had two really good competitive performances on the road, but they were tight losses to to the Cougars and and the, then the, the night before when they lost to the Tigers. But they go back home this week, and I, and I know you tipped them to to beat the Wolves, but I would have thought they were still pretty pretty hefty underdogs in that game, even even with Lee Robertson, Rob Huntington not playing for the Wolves. They go back home and they beat the team that. You know, probably still is the championship favourites, or has been for for most of this West Coast Classic, and it's on the back of suddenly the Twin Towers. They can dominate a game against a a team that's now undersized, and that's the great benefit of having obviously Mayo Malik and Majid Garang. But then you've got Jerome Reed, Fletcher Clastorny, and Damon Ballantyne to fill those other three starting spots. They've just got such versatility. All three can play any of. Any of four positions, really, you'd be happy for any of those three guys to play one through four just because of their size and ability to, to do a bit of everything. Then they got the young guys coming off the bench, and, and Noah Hinckley was the one this week that came off the bench and, and had a fantastic cameo, and it's great to see a young Indigenous kid come through, similar to what Johnny Nark was doing at the Geraldton Buccaneers, and it's, it's really exciting to see. So it was great to see the Giants turn that potential we were seeing the week before into a massive win, win on their home floor. And credit to, to Creaky up there doing a great job and, and the faith that the boys are putting into his system, the belief that the Goldfields Giants organisation have put into into him. So, you know, some great things. And I think also um, what we, we need to look at as well is that, you know, you know, Coburn's two good results the weekend before take Luke Travers out of that mm-hmm. lineup and it makes a very, very big difference. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that really solidifies his 
or our, our thoughts that he you know is the MVP of the of the West Coast Classic. Can you take a player like him out of his team and to see them you know the results that they had on the weekend uh, that it just adds to his uh, his importance to the Coburn Cougars. Okay, Ben. To close this first segment, I want to just I want to throw some names at you, and I want a yes or no answer if you think we'll see them between now and for the rest of the West Coast Classic. So just give me your thoughts. If you've got any insight or if it's just a guess, that doesn't matter. But I'll just have some names I'll I'll throw your way. Let's start with the men you just mentioned, Luke Travers. Will we see him for the majority of the West Coast Classic still? Yeah, I think so. I think it's within his best interest to be playing basketball at this time of the year. Um, I know the the Cats are very keen for him to be playing on the perimeter and uh, have the ball in his hands, and that's what um, you know the opportunities he's getting at Coburn. So I think it's yeah, it's great for his development at the moment to be to be there, and I, yeah, I, I would expect to see him for the remainder of the year. One of his Wildcats teammates, Wani Swaka. Same thing, as long as Wani's not injured or anything like that. Um, the more he did miss a, a quite a lot of basketball last year, mm. so I think um, you know the more time Wani's on the court, saw some really good things leadership wise, which again you can see the benefits he's had of playing with guys like um, Damian Martin at, at the Cats and how mm. how he goes about his leadership. So all those things, he, he might not be putting up big numbers, but uh, I would assume that they're pretty happy with the other things that they're seeing from Wani at the moment. Now a new Perth Wildcats development player, Andrew Ferguson. Oh, most definitely. Uh, this is a perfect time for Ferguson. You know, really impressed with him over what I've seen the last few weeks. Um, he does have that ability to stretch. And as a seven-footer, you, a lot of people might be saying, well, why isn't he under the basket and, and doing all that? But um, if he's adding that three-point range and the ability to pick and pop to his game, uh, that's you know that only puts him in good stead. And, and that's the way the game is going. You need your big guys to be able to do that. So only good things for him if he continues to play. One of his lakeside teammates, Rowan McKenzie. Have you already seen the last of him? I believe so. I think um, it was his intent to, to play until this point and then head back to overseas. So my understanding is that that's, that's occurred. And, um, yeah, I don't think we will see him um, in between now and the end of the year. And another lakeside player, Corey Sherville. Yeah, again, uh, my understanding is that he's um, had some some surgery on his wrist. So whether or not that fits into his plans to come back and, and maybe play uh, the finals weekend or series or however it wakes at the end of this month, uh, or sorry, end of September. Mm. Uh, but yeah, again, someone like Corey, I think, would be benefiting from those extra minutes and an opportunity to, to play. So um, we yeah, would hope that he's back. We see him back. But again, you never know if it, that injury and, and surgery is um, you know, a little bit more severe than, than what is thought. What about Lee Roberts at the Wolves? Uh, interesting one. Uh, I know, you know with these uh, imports, they're all always looking to, to head overseas. Um, Sort of, yeah. There is a, a few whispers around that he, he may have signed with a team in um, in Europe. Um, so whether or not um, the weekend not travelling to Kalgoorlie was a part of that, or it was just uh, load management, if you will. But yeah, yeah I, I think um, from what I'm hearing is that maybe he is done for the remainder. If not, it'll be a, a bit of a in one week out the other sort mm. of thing, to, uh, just to manage his minutes before he heads away. What about Marshall Nelson at the Redbacks? Again, similar to Lee, someone that's always um, looking for that next opportunity. And, you know, uh, I know he does have his European passport, which makes mm. him very attractive to those European teams and doesn't take an import spot. So, uh, again, we're at that time of the year where, where teams in, in Europe are signing and, and asking players to turn up. So um, I know the Redbacks would be very keen for him to stay for the next month. But um, sure, if a, if a European team says to him, we need you here next week, that that. That plane mm. ticket will be, uh, will be getting punched and he'll be on his way. I don't think any team missed one player more than Rockingham missed Ryan Godfrey on the weekend. Does Buff come back? Are we going to see him again for the rest of the, the West Coast Classic? 
What was Buff's status on the weekend? Well, I'm, I'm not I sure. I was unaware of that. No. Oh, okay. All, All right. I know is he didn't play. Okay. Oh, look, I would hope that there was nothing untoward. He's one of my uh, favourite players in the SBL. I just love yeah. about the way he goes about his business and um, always have a have a good chat to his old man um, whenever we cross paths. So a lot of respect for, for Buff and hopefully it's nothing too major. And we do see him because, again, guys like him in, in the competition are, are good for their, for their young guards and, and the competition as a whole. And one last one. Is there anyone you're hearing that might still pop up that we haven't seen yet? Is there any any surprise appearances we might still get? Oh, I haven't heard. Uh, other than Jack Eisenberger popping up yep, at the end yep. of the Slammers game last Friday and, and banging two triples. Yeah, no, I'm unsure. Unsure of that one. Um, no one really. I guess right now we're at that point where I'm not sure whether players could qualify for finals. If maybe they can, I think it's a third plus one that you need to play. So, yeah, they'd want to be being added very quickly to be available, especially if it's a, a top four team that might be sort of making a push for someone to uh, qualify for finals. I don't think this is possible to happen, but I want to ask it anyway. What would your reaction be if you turned up Saturday night and Michael Lay was running the point for the Southwest Slammers? I think that would be uh, be unbelievable. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I sort of look around and go, I, I don't ever want to see teams getting beaten by 60. Um, mm-hmm. And if you know Michael Lay's brain was out on that court um, for the Slammers, um, that's only good for them. If, if Corey Richardson's available mm-hmm. um, and even someone like Clive Whedon, you know, sure. that... That makes that Slammers team, they're not there taking minutes away from the younger kids. They're actually probably going to help them. And it's going to mean that on the flip side, you know, yeah, you know Brendan Donato has to play against Michael Lay. Um, yeah. you know, uh, Cooper Lowe has to go against Clive Whedon. Corey Richardson's going against Carl Aylett. Those are all good matchups that um, raise the level of competition. So, yeah, would absolutely love to, to see Michael um, having a run around. Um, so once again, someone that I rate very, very highly in, in, the, in the league. and I know he adds value to any team that he's a part of. Well, maybe we can ask Wertho a bit later. Yeah, that'd be, be a good question. <laughs> okay, first segment down on SBL Shooting Round for this week. When we come back, we'll go through all of the, the results from Round 5 in the West Coast Classic in a bit more detail. Okay, Round 5 now in the West Coast Classic. Before we get to the results, Ben... You finally made some progress. That gap on our tipping is now now closing. I had a bit of a shocker Saturday night, and now all of a sudden, I'm on 40, you're on 33, and that is a manageable deficit, isn't it? That's it. Uh, my goal is to cut it back by two each week. Thank so, you, Dave. More uh, than that. Not, yeah, not quite at the stage where I'll have to start going with a few, um, few left-field ones, but... Um, yeah, look, if I can get maybe another couple back this week and get it back to five with a few weeks to go, mm. I think we'll have a, uh, a pretty good competition on our hands. Yeah, there we go. So that, that is now getting a bit a bit tighter, so I'm starting to sweat a little bit. But let's have a look at the results. Now, we were down calling our game in, in Coburn, but watching the live scores because the close game of the night was down at Eden and the Southwest Slammers, they were up by five points with 45 seconds to go in the game. Jack Eisenbarger in his very first game of the West Coast Classic then hits the three. Werther calls a timeout. His team turns the ball over. Jack Eisenberger hits a three. Game over. Heartbreaking loss for the Slammers, but huge credit to them for, for pushing one of the finals-bound teams so close. And I think we looked at it at three-quarter time and looked at the score. I think it was something like 45 to 28. Yeah, and, it was, yeah. Uh, Slammers yep. were down, and they were shooting one for 21 from the three-point line mm. or something ridiculous. And the next thing, huge turnaround. So, yeah, great to see some fight in the young Slammers. Um, and then the class of you know Jack Eisenberger, he scores eight points for the game, but he hits two threes in the space of uh, 45 seconds. Yep. So yeah, look, he's a big in for the um, 
for the for Lakeside. But yeah, good to see the some fight in the slammers and, and good things there for Wertho. Absolutely. And even though his team lost big on Saturday night, after, when I caught up with him, he was still really delighted with what he saw the night before. So we'll talk to him about that in a little while. Now, Wilden Tigers, their good form continued, beating the East Perth Eagles 84-58. to and uh, as we said, a, a pretty good matchup there between Shaq Maharaj and Damien Scott. Sure. Probably cancelled each other out across the board. Connor Minchiden with uh, 11 points again there is good to see. Mm. And Michael Garbellini chipping in with 11 as well. It's good to see him. It's always good to see two left-handers on the court um, yeah. doing well together. Absolutely. Now the game we were at, a bit of a, a bit of a blowout as it as it turned out. The Warwick Senators 117 over the Coburn Cougars 74. And for me, you know, you know what you're going to get with Gav. I um, was really impressed with Jacob Polglaze and uh, Kai Chamberlain again, yeah. providing some good support there. But yeah, the, you know, the the depth of the Warwick Senators, if you look there, you know, Riak, Jay Thwaites, Ethan Elliott and Norm Manyang. I know uh, Jay started, but, you know, they're not essentially starters. Um, there's like 50-odd points there from from those guys. That's, that's, that's a huge effort from your bench. In the game we thought that would have been the game of the round, game of the night at least, you take out Ryan Godfrey for Rockingham, and I think Travis Dernan got hurt early in the game as well, and it really did make a difference. So the Premier Lakes Hawks, one hundred six, beat the Rockingham Flames sixty nine. And that's what we're seeing as well. All it takes is one player to be out, or as we said there. Um, an, an injury to Travis Dernan yeah. uh, without Buff and, and the depth of these teams, you just don't have the, those that depth there to, to replace that. So one person out can mean a lot. And yeah, the, the Hawks way too strong in this one. Then on Saturday night, Gerald and the Buccaneers. This is, a, this is a good win for them. Mandra has been pretty competitive so far this season. And obviously it's a Bucks team with no Jesse Hunt, no Liam Hunt and no Aaron Ralph for this game. But they still got the win on their home floor, 85 to 69. Yeah, great to see Carter Cook getting amongst the action there with yeah. 12 points. Um, and Tom Atkinson just as uh, as ever consistent as he has been and, and being called on. Yeah, good to see the Bucks get a win on their home court. The difference for me, Matty Wandenberg, those are some numbers that I don't know if he's put up at any point in his career on a regular basis. 20 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists. Too big, too strong, and he was the difference. And probably just that uh, veteran smarts, you know. Yeah. There's no one out there to match up on him, and he would have just benefited from um, from that, you know, being able to find the spots and the creases and get in under the basket and, and do what he does best, which is, you know, score from six-foot men. Yeah. And the Southwest Slammers couldn't quite back up what they did on Friday night. Corey Richardson was a big out for this game for them. Perth Redbacks too good, 93-55. to 55. Yeah, and a massive double-double there from Mitch Keller. Um, yeah. Good to see the, those young bigs, as we've spoken about. They do take a while to um, to mature, and him getting out there and, and delivering a double-double for, for Wertho, I'm sure we'll be able to have a good chat to him about that and how he sees his development going. Mm. Now, the game we did talk about a little bit earlier, Goldfields Giants, 80. Too good for the Junior Light Wolves, 71. And I would have, as, as we saw... Would suggest that you know the the twin towers are just too much uh, yeah. with no Huntington and, and no Lee Roberts. That would have been a, a great matchup for those two. However, they've sort of reaped the reward of those guys not being there. Um, and as we said, Noah Hinckley, great to see a, mm-hmm. a young guy come out and deliver on, in a in a game that actually does have a bit of meaning to it. Absolutely. And then we have a look at what happens to a team when you lose two really important players like Godfrey and Dern and Wilden Tigers. Credit to them for taking advantage and playing well still. 110 over the Flames, 45. And a monster game there from young Travis Fee. You know, yeah. opportunity knocks. And you know, if you're not ready, you're not going to go out and get 24 points, nine rebounds and five assists. You know, that's a huge game. That's a that's a career night. 
mm-hmm. um, that he's managed to go out against uh, uh, an all-star level point guard in Jackson Hussey. So great Absolutely. one there. And the ever ever consistent Damien Scott, 20 points and five rebounds, four assists. That's um, that's what you'd sort of expect from him. Now, your Calabon Roots and Sons, pretty good win in the end. I would have thought, even the, with the players missing from the Cougars, pretty much evenly matched. It's not like the Suns are, are full of experienced guns right now. You're a very young team yourself. So I think pretty evenly matched take out Travers, Holmes and, and Chan. But a good win, 77 for the Suns, 65 for Cougars. Yeah, it's always nice to get a win on your home court in, in front of your, your your home fans, your nearest and dearest. And um, Carl Aylett was was exceptional with his 27 points. But, you know, again, we had uh, another, I think it's our sixth uh, debutante player on the weekend. And, you know, we, we managed to get those boys some good minutes towards the end of the game. So mm-hmm. they, it got back to that 12-point margin. But I know at one stage it was out to sort of 20 and, you know, Mark, Mark does the right thing and, and gets the young boys out there and gives them a chance to play and give the starters a well-earned rest. But yeah, credit to Cougars backing up. Um, then you know, a little bit later on after the, the Saturday off, and yeah, yeah, a good game and and made us play hard and, and do all the things that we we need to do to to win a game. Last one of the round was Sunday. Good game in the end at Warwick Stadium, but the Senators were just too too strong, too too deep. Marshall Nelson fouling out midway through the fourth quarter probably ruined any chances of a of a Redbacks comeback. So the Senators ninety three over the Redbacks eighty two. Yeah, and the the big three, if you will, of the Senators there just too much. Um, Justin King, Caleb Davis, yep. Cody Ellis leading the way, and I think that's what it's allowing those other younger Warwick um, players to sort of fulfil their role when you when your big three are doing that. Um, that's a very very tough tough cover for anyone. Okay, now just quickly before we wrap up and get to Mark Worthington, I'll run through the standings, and I I think it's changed a little bit. I reckon we've got we've got a top three that I can't see missing. And then I think we have three more fighting over fourth spot, and you can probably rule out the rest from there. So. I think the top three that won't miss from here: Perry Lakes Hawks are seven and one, Warwick Senators are six and one, Lakeside Lightning are six and one. Now all of a sudden, especially if Lee Roberts isn't going to come back, the Junior Light Wolves are five and two, just ahead of the Perth Redbacks in fifth, are six and three, and the Bulldogs Tigers—they just keep playing so well, and I, I'm sure they've still got a game against the Wolves to go, so they could try to make up that game as well. Are uh, five and three. And then I think you can rule the line through the rest, unfortunately, but there's still plenty, there's still plenty to play for over the last month, nonetheless. Rockingham Flames, 4-4. Four and four. Goldfields Giants, 4-4. Four and four. Coburn Cougars, 3-5. and Calamander Eastern Suns, 2-5. and five. East Perth Eagles, 2-6. and six. Geraldton Buccaneers, 2-6. and six. Mandurah Magic, 1-6. and six. And the Southwest Slammers, 1-6. and six. What do you make of it? Uh, as I said before, I, I see the you know, that top four probably only slightly changing. Maybe the Wolves are the ones dropping out. And mm. as much of a big loss that Lee Roberts is, let's remember that the two losses have come without Robbie Huntington for yep, the Wolves. For sure. So yeah, he, you never underestimate the value that Robbie Huntington brings to a team. Um, can the Redback withhold if they do lose a key performer like a Marshall or a, or a White? Mm. And and can the Tigers keep this ball rolling? Um, they're getting some great production out of their young kids. Um, and then Damien Scott is perhaps moving up the ranks, you know, a, uh, an MVP type season. Yeah, um, he is. Given you know, he is the one that's leading the way and and it's probably a great opportunity for, for Damien to, to become that leader. He doesn't have a Kyle Armour or a, a Jay Bowie there who are carrying that leadership role, um, it's falling onto his shoulders and, and he's delivering it. He's dragging these uh, young Tigers along with him. Absolutely. Okay, now we're about to get to Mark Worthington. Before we get him on the line, Ben, what's the one thing you're most looking forward to speaking to him, him, him about? I'm not really sure how he will um, 
will, will answer the question. Don't know if anyone's ever really asked him, but it's, I'm just going to ask him why. Why never the Wildcats? Why yep. did that never eventuate? Because you would think, uh, when you think about the guys like Catalini and, and Loughton and uh, and the likes that were sort of all similar style of players in that sort of small forward to power forward range, um, whether or not it was just personnel at the time or, or was there something else that just never sort of fit? Because I think he would have been someone that really embodied that embodied that Wildcats way of doing things. So, yeah, well, I'll see if I can slip that one in somewhere and, and see what we get from that. Yeah, Absolutely. If I had to answer it on his behalf, I've got two words for it. Sean Redditch might be the most obvious answer, but we'll have a listen later on and see what, what were they things. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, Was it just personnel that um, mm. they just had someone already at that spot that um, that filled that spot? Um, or whether or not it was just something that um, never, yeah, just never quite fell his way. So, yeah, interesting to see what he says. Every other time I've spoken to Werther, Sean's been a big part of the discussion, though. So I've promised him this time. I will promise him that, that Sean will be very barely, if at all, mentioned in our discussion. So that, that's one thing I'll, I'll try and guarantee him. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, when we come back on SBL Shootaround, we'll be speaking to the legend himself, Mark Worthington. Okay, back here on SBL Shootaround and... Well, I mean, this is a this is a real treat for us, for us, Ben, to be able to to call upon one of Australia's all-time great basketballers, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, th- this time at least, the name Sean Reddish doesn't come up too often because he he did join me on my on my podcast basketball hustle that I do with Sean, but hopefully, this is the only mention of Sean for this show, were though. So we'll we'll get his name out of there nice and early, and 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 leave it behind us. But it's 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 a fantastic thing that you're back in WA, back involved in WA basketball, and it's a great honour for us to have you on the show. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. How are you finding being back back home, being back in Bunbury to live? First of all, that, let's put the basketball things aside. What's it like being being back home after you know twenty twenty plus years being away? Yeah, it was a bit of a uh, shock to the system the last two years leading up to coming home. Uh, uh, the year before I was in Melbourne, and before that I was in Los Angeles. So yeah. I've been slowly downgrading my lifestyle choices <laughs> from um, Los Angeles to Melbourne to Bunbury. But um, <laughs> I do. Uh, I had been splitting a lot of probably half my my week between Perth and uh, and Bunbury, and um, yeah, it, it's been it's been good, and uh, I've quite enjoyed being back in the West. G'day, Mark. It's Ben here. Um, so yeah, look that that journey that we're talking about it's sort of a um, you know for for a lot of kids growing up, um, especially the boys that you're now coaching, you know, to think of a uh, a boy from Bunbury um, eventually playing on the the biggest stage there is against you know Team USA at an Olympic Games. You ever sort of sit back and and just sort of think, you know, I'm lucky to be here, or has it been something that you sort of feel that you're always sort of destined to to achieve? Yeah, it's a tough one to answer. I I thought as a junior, I was going all right, but you just never know. I guess I think the the greats have a little bit of. Some people say arrogance. Some people say confidence about mm. their abilities and what they could do. And I I definitely wasn't short on that. And uh, I took things really personally, really early on, when I didn't make a WA country state team uh, as a bottom age under 16s. Uh, I took that personally. Not going to the AAS, I took that personally. And so it, it sort of was for me just to continue to prove people wrong 
throughout my entire career. And look, if you would have asked me as a young kid, would I think that I play in the NBL? Uh, I probably would have said I thought I could have made it mm-hmm. uh, to have the career that I had with in the NBL uh, with the Australian Boomers and all that. I mean, I don't think anyone can really think that they can get to the level that I got to and um, really appreciative of uh, the journey, which I probably still haven't properly reflected on yet, but I know one day down the track, I'll probably reflect on it a little bit better and, and the achievements that I ha- that I had as a player. And you just sort of mentioned it there, and that was actually going to be one of my questions that you didn't, you know, I, I mean, I my first uh, meeting with you was I think you just, you, you were probably in the under-20s age group and Steve Hawkins and I were coaching an under-18 state country team and Steve brought you in as the almost like the special guest to come in and talk to those boys and I thought that was actually quite amazing given that you're only one year removed from playing in that age group yourself and when you spoke to the group again I sort of looked and went yeah I can understand why Steve's done that because you the way he spoke and and you mentioned not making a bottom age team and those sorts of things but I I didn't realize that there wasn't a a selection process for you to go there, oh, yes, because for me, I would have been going, that's exactly the type of kid that goes there. So your journey to Metro State obviously came about because that wasn't on the table. Was Mike Dunlap recruiting you while he was here before he went there or was that um, something that sort of came about um, by you sort of actively seeking that opportunity? Mm. Well, the, the AIS stuff, I, I wasn't deemed as good enough to go there and so I got I got the letter and funnily enough the letter only came down last year saying that I wasn't accepted into the AIS mm-hmm. um, that probably shows you a bit of the motivation that mm-hmm. I always carried around with me was that sort of proved people wrong Dunlap came about uh, there was a guy called Charles Ryan in Victoria um, yes and, and Charles he Ryan. along with guy called Colin Donovan, who used to be like the general manager of the Southeast Melbourne Magic, uh, they always went to under-18s tournaments together and uh, kept their eyes out. And I guess Colin Donovan's and, and Charles Ryan's relationship probably was more with Brian Gorgian, who was good mates with Dunlap. And so that they, is there any kids that you think have got a chance? And uh, both Charles and, and Colin said they shouldn't uh, have a look at myself. And I think it was one phone call in, uh, Dunlap had asked me, I was, I was actually staying with John Dorge at the time up in Cairns. He said, have you thought about college? And I said, no. He goes, would you no. be interested? And I said, sure. And that was about it. <laughs> And then that was about the recruiting classes wanting me in college because at that point, college basketball in Australia still wasn't a big thing, but it seemed to be right around that time that it all started going. Uh, if you take out the early pioneers, it was probably more so us Metro State boys and the St. Mary boys going to college at the same time that really got the ball rolling. What sort of an adjustment what did it take? You get over to, to, to Denver as well. You you're used to the, the the good weather down in down in Bunbury and you head over to, to Denver where it gets incredibly cold in the winter and the summers aren't aren't too bad. How did you find the lifestyle adjusting to not just the weather, but how did you find adjusting to the college lifestyle? Did you fit in pretty quick? No, I mean, if you just have to look at statistically what I did in college and it really was just a gradual build. Yeah. And even my my junior year wasn't out. 
outstanding numbers by any uh, well, it wasn't even, it was, it was solid numbers, I'd mm-hmm. say. But then come my senior year, I became the guy. And it was really, you know, the progression and the weather didn't really bother me that much going to Denver Winters. It was probably dealing with Dunlap more than mm-hmm. anything. And he is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he had a bit of a reputation like that. And it was actually surprising going to work for him as a, an assistant coach at Loyola Marymount University once I was done to see how much he had changed as a coach. But I remember the best thing about Dunlap was you sort of go to college wanting to play college basketball. You're a young kid, so you sort of get caught up in that lifestyle as well. And when you tend to lose your way, Dunlap would pull you back to reality saying, you know, you've got a chance to be a professional. So this mm-hmm. college experience is about you learning to become a pro- professional, not just when you feel like it, because a lot of the American kids, obviously, they finish their basketball once they're done with college. And um, it was always something that sort of stood, helped me in good stead, is I knew how to work by myself, and I knew the work that I needed to do uh, to get ready. And season in and season out, I felt like I, I was preparing myself for an even better season. And I think I think uh, Dunlap had a lot to do with that. You touch on how much of a different coach he is now, and I assume he's a, he's a lot more mellower. That's, that might be the best way to put it. Do you wish you got to play under him now, the way he is now, or did it did, did it make you tougher learning to deal with him back then? I think his style of coaching back then actually suited me yeah. more. And uh, you, you look at the coaches that I sort of thrived under, they were all the hard-nosed coaches. Sure. Um, whether Gorgian, you know, for the first four years. Yeah. Even Aaron, for the end of my career, yep. sort of known as a no not hard grind sort of Absolutely. person. I figured that those sort of coaches sort of got the best out of me, even Joey Wright and Gold Coast mm-hmm. as well. And then, uh, so to see now, I understand stepping into the coaching limelight the way that he is and, and why he was more like that now, just because people are different yeah. and the, the athletes are different these days got to be able to communicate with them a lot more and those sort of days of being stern 24-7 are sort of out the window and, but I still think he laid a great foundation for myself and, and many other Metro State boys that went through the system mm. with him and um, for that I, I think we're all appreciative for that sort of uh, foundation that he gave us. You touched on it. So, uh, sorry, I mean you played under an amazing group of coaches in your career starting at starting at Dunlap you know through to through to through to Gorgian and to and to and to Joey and and, and obviously to finish with with Fernie up in up in Cairns and you know there, I'm sure there was others along the way you know I'm sure I'm sure your European coaches would have been a fascinating story as well but now that you are coaching in your own rights how do you find what you've learned from what you saw those coaches do I guess you pick up bits and pieces that you want to do that like they did and you probably want to do things totally different to what some of some of those guys did in some ways how do you how do you now put together what you want to be like as a coach well I think any coach will tell you and probably Ben will tell you is as coaches we have thousands of ideas that run through our head mm-hmm. and it really is what suits the group best at the end of the day and um, I think in my first season as coaching now, I found that simplicity is the key in what I'm doing and not overcomplicating the message and making sure if we're going to do something right, we're doing that thing right, not 
doing multiple things just okay. And sure. um, I, I think when I first walked into this, I probably had bigger plans, but they sort of got derailed really early because I understood the group that I was with. And the other thing is that I've got time with sure. this group as well. And so I think we will continue to grow and build as uh, the years go along now. But uh, at the moment, you sort of have to keep a lot in your back pocket through your thoughts and what you want to say because um, the short-term picture is actually getting something done right at a much better rate than doing just a lot of things just mediocre at the moment. Hmm. Was was last Friday night an example of that where you sort of felt like, I mean, you, I know you went down to Lakeside in the end, but um, watching that sort of second half unfold just through the live stats, it looked like something like those light bulb moments in the players' heads. Is that something that you saw or... Was it, um, yeah, was it pleasing to see you actually get to that point in the game against a, you know, essentially a title contender in this competition? Uh, was that pleasing for you to see that sort of four or five weeks in? Yeah, yeah. I, I think for the most part, outside of a couple games, I think our defense has been pretty solid this year. And, um, I was only speaking to my assistant uh, the other night of just saying the progression that we've had as a team and the way that we played. And I thought we played with a good energy and effort versus Lakeside, but the uh, immaturity of uh, the team showed and hence why we lost in the end. We just couldn't play with the lead. And as much as we try to play uh, scenario basketball at the end of our sessions, um, that one came back and, you know, you, you said that they're a, they're a title contending team and title contending teams find a way to win at the end of the day. And, you know, the record books will show that we play, that, that we lost. And uh, I, I guess at this point, we get being told that we play with great spirit and play with great energy and great effort. Uh, and now it's time to not be satisfied with that sort of comment and just say that they won. And uh, our guys need to reward themselves a little bit more because they've been working their their asses off to this stage of the season. And um, as happy as I was to see the leap and progression in that game, I was equally as pissed off on the inside that we mm. didn't win the game. And uh, I think that yeah, uh, that's sort of the way that I operate. Yep. And I mean, are you sort of? I guess you, you know you're saying. You know, your journey, um, especially through the Metro State years, was one of building, building, building. Are you sort of drawing on that experience and and sharing that with the guys that it's not an overnight success? It's something that you've got to work on to, to get there? Well, I've never been in a situation with a, a really young team in a men's league. So mm. I'd be yeah. lying to say that I'm drawing on any experience right now other than I like uh, I like how committed our young guys are and I like uh, how much they've progressed in a short period of time. And I, I think when I first walked into this and saw what the team was last year, the first goal was, all right, do we settle for mediocrity again or... So we go through a little bit of heartache just to try and get the rewards at the end. And COVID is a horrible thing, but actually worked in our favour as far as giving us a little bit of extra time that we needed. If we were yep. to start the SPL system uh, when it was supposed to, uh, we probably wouldn't be getting the results that we are right now. And the fact that we are playing tough versus a, a title contender, that we've hung tough versus Rockingham, 
played very well versus Perry Lake. You know, we've shown that sort of side. And then the other side is that we are uh, young and tired. And for a lot of our guys, we're playing, you know, the doubleheaders turned mm. into tripleheaders with the wobble weekend as well with our under-18 yeah, kids. Yeah. And managing bodies as well. And so we, we have a lot on our plate at the moment. And we understand what this season is. Um, I guess the mindset is I, I, I don't want them to fall into oh we competed and we did really well again and just be that the standard no the standard is for us to win those games moving forward not just to compete and um, I think we're getting closer to our second win that's for sure 100% and, and as you sort of spend more time around the boys like who's who's someone down there that you know you're looking at and going yeah they've got that bit of spark that little bit of hunger that um, you think that you, you know, you're going to really be able to have an influence on and, and maybe spur them on to, to bigger and better things well, maybe a little bit of bias, but I'm going to go the young fella in my position of Lee Rickwood Pitt, mm. uh, who's an under-18 kid. I think we've got a bunch of them, but he has a lot of talent, uh, and he's just sort of scratching the surface of what he can do. And he's he's had a couple really good games for us so far this season. But it's you know we talk about the under-18 kids like our, our vets are not that much older than them, mm-hmm. and so you look yeah. at someone like Mitch Teller who's had a great season as well, and he's still a young guy in his own right, and he's been playing really well for us this season. And sort of he gets lost in the shuffle with between our under-18 year olds, and everyone want to talk about Brody England. Mitch Keller's probably been our best player so far this season and what he's been able to do and he's still at a very young age where he's going to be a part of this hopefully for many more years to come and uh, he'll he'll be the guy that can sort of lead these guys into the future as well. Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm biased biased towards the big guys. Obviously, the guards (laughs) get all the... everything that they do, so stuff. (laughs) I'm going to go with the big fellas. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Mitch Keller, he... In any league, regardless, if you're averaging a double-double, you're doing all right, which he's seen, you know, he's, he's a couple of good results these last couple of weekends, but that consistency, I guess, is something that you're always looking for, and we stress all the time up the hill at Calamunda, it's good to have 25 points one week, but you can't have six the next, like, you, you're looking for that consistency, because that essentially is what, you know, you, you want your career to be about, so um, if he's doing that for you, that, that that's great. And he's been he's been really really stable and someone that we can just throw the ball to in the post. Uh, which when you have uh, a team full of a lot of guards, they want to shoot a lot from the perimeter and actually having a bit of an inside focus, which probably has gone a bit missing in basketball with everyone wanting to shoot shoot the three. Mm-hmm. Having someone that we can rely on to throw the ball down and slow the tempo down and go to work in the post against anyone so far this season. He's, he's been um, definitely one of our more higher uh, rate usage of players as far as percentage goes as well. And being able to know that if we're struggling, we can always just throw the ball down to him. And teams are starting to play us knowing that we like to throw the ball to him as well. So then the next step in progression in, in Mitch's game is to be a better passer out of the post. And he's, he's a, he's a, a solid passer now, but, mm. uh, to go to that level, we want him to be a great passer. At any point, have you tried to, have you thought about reaching out to someone like a Michael Lay or a Clive Whedon to give you that experienced body this year? Or did you did you just want to back in the kids and, and see what they could do? Uh, I wanted to back in the kids. Mm. I think it's the same as people asking me if I want to play again. Cool. Um, and at the end of the day, I felt like 
anyone that is an older senior guy is probably just taking minutes away that these young kids probably yeah. need this season. And um, I'm sure with what we've done this year and people watching, uh, there might be a few senior players that they would think about putting on the jersey again. But for the most part, I'm going to roll with these young kids mm-hmm. and obviously probably bring in a couple of recruits next year to compliment them. But I think this has been invaluable for them at the end of the day of what they've been able to do as far as court time and being able to play against older bodies and show that they belong at this level uh, moving forward and probably give them a little bit of confidence. Not that any young kid needs confidence these days because they're all cocky as shit. But for the most part, we want to, we want to, you know, back these young local kids in because uh, I think if I go back to the early 90s with the Slammers, they had a core young group that grew up together and, you know, were complemented by people like James Fitch and yep. Ricardo Boyd the day, but for the most part, the thing that stood out about those Slammers teams was how good their, their local talent mm-hmm. was and uh, how ready between the Wade Banners, the Edwards brothers, uh, Lee Smith, uh, the, the list really went on. So uh, we sort of wanted to get back to that, not top up our roster with players from, you know, Rockingham, Perth, exact, but more so with our local guys and, and, and let them have a run. How good is it to have guys from that era as part of your coaching staff as well? Obviously, James is there, Aaron's there. You've got guys that were part of that golden era at the Slammers and they still want to give back to the young kids today. They probably want to help you know, bring in the next golden era. How good is it that those guys have all wanted to come on board and, and help with, with what you're doing? Yeah, it's been really nice. And um, obviously, uh, Aaron Edwards has probably been my right-hand man to this mm-hmm. point, and he's been excellent. And I mean, the communication between all my coaching staff and I have been, been really good and really enjoyable. And uh, it's not only been them... We've also had Damien Shaw, Lee Smith, uh, Luke Edward, uh, Glenn Gibson all come down to training and talk to the guys. And so I think as much as we want to look into the future, it was really important to me to um, acknowledge the, the guys that have come before us and let them come down and start to feel like the family again that probably haven't been to the basketball for a while. And uh, I think there's there's been a really good buzz around Sunbury of what we're doing and the older guys are coming back and, and starting to have a, a look around as well, which has been really pleasing. And uh, having all their voices sort of reciprocate the same message over and over again without prompt has really... Uh, shown the, the way for the young guys that, you know, this can be a family environment. This can be your brothers for the rest of your life, the way that these guys still think about each other. And, um, you know, they, they remember all the bad times, but they also remember the good times that they had as well. So mm-hmm. there's nothing better than putting on the jersey and going going to play on the weekend, A, because it was fun, but B, because they got to a point where they were kicking people's ass as well mm-hmm. doing it. I'm just looking at your 67 SBL game, were though, and am I, do I remember rightly that there's a 50 point game in there? <laughs> no, you remember wrongly because it was 60. Oh, 60. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> I knew there was something in there like that. No, I, I can I can tell you the game exactly. It was versus East Perth. It was Vince Kelly's 450th game. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Perth was. 
sitting eighth on the ladder and just need to beat the slammers who are bottom of the ladder to make the finals, someone winning earlier in the day. Uh, we had played against Williton the night before and I didn't get a whole lot of shots and Glenn Gibson told the guys if they didn't pass to me in the next game that they'd be benched for the rest of the game. So needless <laughs> to say, the ball came spot. I went 21 of 39 from the field. also had 19 rebounds that game. Um, <laughs> there you go. And we won in overtime. Oh, wow. There you go. Uh, so you sure. see a, a, a uh, recurring theme in the Slammers' history. of well, it was uh, James Fitch against East Perth. Yeah. 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 Fitch dropped 50 back-to-back against them, he said, in the uh, one of the final series. So, yeah, I, I do remember Yeah, that that was – not sure where I was at the time, if I was playing or if I was somewhere, but, yeah, I, and, I remember and, a pretty and, big and, evening. And one, one for, of Fitch's for, efforts yeah. was against CJ Jackson too, as he made sure he, he let us know. Yep, most definitely. Has is, is that ever come up at practice? The uh, yeah, yeah, between yourself and James as to who who has scored the most points in an SBL game? Uh, it hasn't, but we do argue who's the better player. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> it's probably not your 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 level of who's better is not quite Mark Utley and I arguing at practice as to who was the better player. The, <laughs> the boys sort of look at us and just go, "Are you guys serious? You, you guys actually played?" So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, for a, for a young kid going into a slammers program. Um, and having to train against James every day, it was only yeah. oh, that was incredible for for me to be able to have that experience and what I was able to learn from James. Um, obviously, he made the game look very very easy. Um, I was much more of a different player, but the one thing I do remember is James used to get pissed off with me at training because I used to play him hard. You know, I wouldn't let yep. him have an easy session. And that was just the way it is. I get taken to Cairns straight out of high school to train with the Taipans. And every day, I'd, I'd be on rotation. One day, I've got Aaron Traher. The next day, I've got Ben Knight. The day after that, I've got Ant Hewitt. And so all these lessons that I had as a junior really paid dividends. I remember when Wayne Hare first coaching the Slammers, coming back, being the assistant coach in Cairns. I think I was 17 at that stage, and he started me in a pre-season game and put me on James Harvey, who was at the height of his Wildcats days, and he yeah. had 40 on me, and uh, Wayne wouldn't let me sub off him. Like, the only rest I got when James went to the bench, and then I came back on as soon as he went back on, and I was like, man, he's killing me. He's like, you'll learn something from this. So, I was put in a pretty fortunate position really young to be able to compete against guys at a, a higher level than what I was. Uh, I guess that put me in good stead going forward that I always was wanted the challenge and I was always able to learn off people that were older than me, uh, that were more experienced than me and maybe pick up one or two things from them in the game that I'd try and incorporate into my own game. Yeah, no, very good. That's a, a again, that's sort of how the the common theme for a lot of the guys early on, how they got better, even the imports, you know, telling the stories of they'd go to the, you know, the local army base or go to the local college or whatever it was and be playing against guys sort of three, four, five years older than them and, and sort of essentially taking their lumps there in order to get better. There was no no shortcuts to success, which uh, I tend to think um, a lot of guys nowadays seem to seem to look for that, whether it's uh, jumping on board with a, with a skills trainer or jumping clubs or whatever it is. There seems to be that um, not a fear of hard work, but almost like they're, they're avoiding it and trying to find that easy path. And uh, as we know, you know, anything you have to work for is um, usually a lot, lot more worthwhile in the long run. 
Well, I've actually started playing one-on-one with a few of the young kids at the end of practice just to, you know, put that... I mean, we don't play enough one-on-one in Australia, full stop. Everything is the five-on-zero and, like you said, skill training, which is, for the most part, BS because a lot of people don't even know what skill training is, if I'm totally honest, in Australia. But the the ability to play one-on-one can teach you so much about your own game and, and playing against multiple bodies. One thing that I did at the end of my... NBL career in Cairns was I'd play one-on-one with all the development players before practice every day basically and that was my way of giving back to them and you know them teaching how to make a move off the dribble only giving them two dribbles or one dribble um, how to make a shot with a contested a hand in their face all these sorts of things that we don't do we want to sit there and go yeah I, I got up shots today but how many shots are really relevant shots into a game and how much of them are under pressure and we just don't see it today from these sort of guys the skill that they do is not done at game tempo it's done at their tempo which is quite different to when they get in the game and they actually shoot like shit and they wonder why hmm. Yeah, and look, you know, Mark, just just listen to you to your talk about your plans in Bunbury, and and listen to, to you talk about your your ideas on the game. It seems like coaching is something that you almost seem like a natural for it. Is that you know, is that the the way it feels? Like your your knowledge is obviously immense, but your the way you're you know, sort of expressing your thoughts on the game and and how you're, you're sort of pushing the development of your guys. It does it does it almost sounds like you've been doing this for. For 20 years like is it something that you know is, is coming easy or is it something that you know you sort of see yourself doing now and this is the way that you stay involved in basketball for a, for a lot longer well i didn't know what like, i'd coached women previously in queensland um and then coming to men for the first time and doing it I, I still don't know if i'm a coach if i'm totally honest if someone thinks that they've got it figured out then they probably don't um mm-hmm. I sort of had a plan on what I wanted and whenever you plan something, I think it always gets derailed. I think coaching is learning how to adapt, if anything else. And I'm finding that I've surrounded myself with older heads that are really level and can see the game. So I, I think I'm pretty fortunate. So I don't know if it's come easy to me, but I think I've surrounded myself with good people that challenge me at the end of the day. And I'm grateful for that, for that. And I just continue to learn probably just as much as what these young guys are continuing to learn right now. And, and, and as we've said previously, I've probably been fortunate that I've been able to learn off a lot of great coaches, uh, not only just in Australia, but in the world of what they do. And uh, being able to pick bits and pieces from them uh, and imp- implement them to what I do. Yeah, no, you, again, I'm, uh, I'm I'm quite impressed, and you're exactly right. As far as coaching goes, once you once you think you know it all, um, you're probably you're probably done because no one does that. And yeah, the fortunate part that you've got, I guess, is you've got a, a bunch of boys who are on a very similar journey in their playing careers as you are in your coaching career. So you're almost learning together, and that's um, that's important too. I know early on for me, you know, I was very early on, learned very quickly to put my hand up and say, you know what this isn't working, I've got it completely wrong, let's sit down and maybe talk about what we need to do better. And when you don't have the you've, – you've got the playing resume that everyone just would respect, but as a coach, that's not quite there. And sometimes being humble and being prepared to put your hand up and say, you know what, we're, we're not quite getting it right and that's on me, that builds that credibility with your players. Um, so it sort of sounds like you're, you've got the people around you that are sort of helping you with that as well, which is, um, again, I'm sitting here going, 
yeah, this guy's been doing this for a very long time. So, yeah, credit to you, Mark. Credit to you. I think I think the biggest question that you have to answer as a coach these days is the why to everything. Every mm-hmm. every kid wants to know why we're doing stuff, and um, yep. I think for me, it's been more in the detail of all right, we're not just doing this drill just because it's a drill and we can get through it. We're doing this drill because on the weekend this happened or versus this team coming up, this is going to happen. This is why we need to be able to do it, execute it at this level. And so yep. I'd say out of everything, the why is probably the biggest question that's been asked of me as a coach and for me to be able to give them the answer. Well, not that they always directly answer, but just so they don't go through the motions of what they're doing to understand the importance of each drill that we do at training how old are your two little boys uh i've got a nine-year-old and an 11 year old well almost 11 year old uh yeah you you probably answered the white question a million times eh? (laughs) i have i have yeah uh, (laughs) i'll probably continue to continue to answer for many more years to come and that's all right yeah yeah what about away from basketball weather the thing that stood out to me about the conversation we had last time I spoke to you in a similar situation was that how open and honest you were about the struggles you've had since you finished your playing career and and credit to you for being so open and honest about that because it helps it helps other people in other situations if somebody like you can be honest about your feelings I think it helps other people be able to to open up but do you feel like you you're in a good place now have you found a situation both in work life and and home life and everything else that that has you in a really good place right now. Are you are you happy with the way the way life is? Yeah, I'd, if you were to ask me when I came back to WA if, if I'd be as happy as what I am right now, mm. I would have told you I, I was unsure. Coming home, coming home because uh, of family reasons was tough, and and learning how to deal with that. Uh, but I probably credit majority of it to the partner that I found since moving back here and mm. she's uh she's been great for me. She's uh she's pretty big in WA circles. She plays for the West Coast Eagles, uh and is the current club champion in Dana Hooker and um, I thought I recognised her there uh, on, she's on been, Saturday night. We, yeah, yeah, and um we uh, met each other at the end of last year and then we moved uh, uh yeah, started seeing each other at the start of the year and survived COVID together and (laughs) uh, and sort of, you know, uh, someone that, you know, I could talk to about all things about, you know, what I've been through, what it was like for me as an athlete, what it was like for her as an athlete to be able to have those conversations. You know, it's been, uh, it's been unbelievable. She's been, she's been awesome and uh, very fortunate to have someone like her in my life. No, it's fantastic to hear. Really happy for you. Just just one last one for me about your playing career because you talked about before how you haven't quite had a chance to fully reflect on everything you did and, and you know, you will at some stage. But if I, if I just run through some of the things that you achieved, obviously before you go to college, you win an SBL championship at the Slammers. Then you spend the four years at Metro State University. Then you come into the NBL and, you know, you have, a, you have some great years at the Kings and you go to the Tigers, win the championship with the Dragons. You come back, play at the Gold Coast Blades with, with Joey, and you have some really good teams there. You go back to Melbourne United, part of some good teams, and Cairns Taipans, I think you were really happy with the way you were able to end your career there. Still still a, a playoff team. I mean, I mean, four times you were named all-first NBL team, but overseas as well, you won a championship in Germany, had some great success in Europe. 
and of course playing for Australia, you went to two Olympic Games and a couple of couple of World Cups as well. Um, when someone reels off everything you achieved as a player, is there anything that stands out above everything anything else, or are you able to sit back with pride, or how do how do you feel about it? Well, as you rattle off the teams, I just think of teammates. Really, at the end of the day, I mean, they're the guys that you, they're the guys that you train with every day. They're the guys that you trouble with. They're the guys that are there by your side, and you just think about all the relationships that I still have to this day because of basketball and just how incredibly fortunate I was to be able to do all those things. But how more unfortunate, uh, more fortunate I am that I've met some bloody unreal people along the way and you know whether it's the early days with the college career and people like Luke Kendall and David Barlow sharing experiences with them uh, with a host of other Aussie guys whether it's you know throughout the, the Sydney Kings with Jason Smith, EJ Bruton and Kendall again mm-hmm. uh, you go to the Dragons Joe Ingles and I were roommates and yep. that incredible team that we had Melbourne Tigers, Chris Anstey still one of my best mates to this mm-hmm. day uh, being able to play with him uh, Gold Coast Joey Wright and I have a fantastic relationship and whether it's Adam Gibson or James Harvey uh, or Anthony Petrie yeah. or Jason Kadee you go to Melbourne United once again reunited with Anstey now as my coach mm-hmm. um, back playing with David Barlow again uh, Melbourne Melbourne Tigers Chris Goulding Nate Tomlinson yeah. Scott Morrison the import and then Cairn Glidden Stevie Way the list, the list and even then, you know probably more so now Jack Madgen who now plays for Collingwood yeah, sure. but was a development player for the Titans back then it's just off the top of my head of who I could think of uh, you know how fortunate am I to be able to be mates with these guys and be able to stay in contact with them and you know um, at the end of the day basketball's given me a lot of things and I'm glad that I'm able to give back but probably the friendships that you forge along the way are probably the most important thing that when it comes down to it at the end of the day. If it seeds anything that's on the resume of what you've done and what you haven't done, it's the time that you spend in the gym, the time that you spend in airports, the time that you spend in hotels, the time that you have team dinners, all that sort of stuff that just makes basketball so worth it in so many different ways. And on the other side of that, I mean, I guess the the best thing to be judged on is how your peers see you as well. And I've spoken to a lot of guys over the years from from all of those teams. You know, you know, Peach and Peach and Gibbo and, and Cam Glidden are probably probably the the standouts. And you're one of their favourite teammates. So for you, for you to think so highly of your teammates, and then your teammates to rate you as one of their favourite teammates, so I guess that's what you hope to get out of basketball more than anything. And 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 that's what you've got. Well, I figured at the end of the day, if I just keep changing teams and everyone wants to like me at the end of the day because they know that I'm a good guy and there's not as much of an arsehole, that's probably why every Perth fan still thinks I'm an arsehole at the end of the day. So I get that. That might be a question, Ben. Nice setup. Well, look, yeah, that's probably the one, you know, you look around the place and look at the products that have come out of WA, that's probably the one team that's not on your resume. Was there ever uh, an opportunity or a chance that we would have seen were though playing for the Cats or did you think know, the, the moon's never aligned and, and that become uh, a possibility for you? Uh, no, it, it should have been a reality. Um, I'd agree with Rob Bridge. I was coming and um, uh, Rob got let go a week later. 
and then Trev a crazy came in and uh, Trev never never had a conversation with me. So I was a little bit yeah. I I, I was just coming back from Serbia at that time. Um it was down playing with Bevo playing at Melbourne and Bella Tiger still with Anstius coach and obviously there was a lure to go play at Chris and I was pretty interested, um, but I'd made my mind up that I wanted to come home, fly in WA, yep. and then a couple of days later, Bevo got let go, so it wasn't to be. I think that made the game winner in Perth just that little bit more special um, when I knew <laughs> that, that the one who I should have been playing on all along. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd called Trev once he got the job and just said, left him a voicemail just saying, I'd agreed with Bevo to come to Perth if that's something that you want. Let me know, and I never heard back from him. So, uh, wow. yeah, at that point, I was pretty happy to hit that game winner, um, <laughs> which had a bigger story to it as well at the end of the day from the other side of the ledger, which was Melbourne. Uh, but, yeah, that shot for so many reasons. It, it made sense from people from Melbourne when I hit it, and mm-hmm. it made sense to me just because of probably a little bit of a get that up here to not call <laughs> me back. So, uh, yeah. I remember it well. There you go. There you go. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the, one of those things that we, we'll never know. Similar, I guess, a little bit to Traher the other week when he was trying to get that, that final gig with them and the, yeah. everything just didn't sort of come to fruition. And as I said to him, you know, it's one of those things, you know, just uh, we've been very fortunate to, to talk to guys like Traher and Blahoff and, and now Wertho, like these guys that are just absolutely, I can't talk high enough for Mark and what he's done in his playing career and, and just this conversation today um, about coaching it's just um, just been brilliant mate I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Saturday night I'll be there with bells on <laughs> can't wait <laughs> well if I hadn't blown my knee out Mark and I were going to challenge you and Fitch to a, to a game of two on two I don't know how we would have gone you wouldn't even score you there. You would not score. Oh, look, we'd, we would start with the ball don't, don't get me wrong it's <laughs> our house so we, we'd make that happen we'd at least get a shot off <laughs> you might get a shot off, but it wouldn't go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hope the ball doesn't bounce to Fitch from there because there's no way I'm getting it back. <laughs> All three of us wouldn't get a shot. <laughs> no, no, very good. No, mate, looking forward to it. I think uh, we're probably a little bit, probably a year ahead of where you guys are at right now. So what I can tell you is, you know, you're on the right track. You've got a, a great bunch of kids that are playing hard. And yeah, look, uh, it clearly sounds like the job that you're doing down there. You're, you're focused on what you need to do and, and you're trying to make them better. And as I said before, we're just very fortunate to have people like yourself that are very, very prepared to come back and, and put back into our league because it's a, it is a good league and just have to you know, look at who we've spoken to on here. We've produced some very, very good players. Um, perhaps we just haven't been able to give them that notoriety on the on the East Coast because we are sort of tucked away doing our own thing but there's some definitely a lot of talent that's come through and and is still coming through the through the SBL. I don't think it's going to be much of a secret for much longer once this turns into an NBL one West mm. and uh, I, I think it's been amazing what Larry Kessman's been able to do for basketball straight in, in us to this point and if this was to happen next year or, or the year afterwards I, I don't think a lot of these guys will be secrets anymore and you'd, I'd expect a, quite a few more players out of the West probably lining up in, in NBL teams across the country in, in the near future. And that's essentially what we want, you know, that's what our league is about and it's giving guys those opportunities and coaches too. I mean, 
you know, someone like yourself that does a great job over here, you could open doors, but on, on that national NBL radar. So that's what hopefully people are thinking, and it would be great to see. I think, yeah, we've definitely got the, the sleeping giant over here in the West that kind of just, um, yeah, that untapped resource. I just like that every coach from every team thinks they're better than the, the current crop that's playing. Uh, if you look across <laughs> the board, there's a, lot, there's a lot of coaching staff that reckon that they'll do all right at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been good fun. It's been good fun running into old spaces, even in the wobble system, like all the kids that are coming through on the wobble and saw Martin Catalini the other week and he's on the sidelines as an assistant coach and under 16 boys. It's, it's just awesome that so many people are coming back and, and giving back to the sport that probably gave a lot of us so much more than we ever anticipated and if we can continue to do it over here in the West, much like the rest of Australia, then basketball's not only in a good place right now, so it's a good new golden era, but basketball will be in a fantastic place going forward uh, for all of us for years to come. 100%. Absolutely. Well well said, Wertho, and and thanks for being so generous with your time once again. Every time I've ever asked you for for any help over the years, you've always been more than willing to, to to give me your time, so I really appreciate that. And hopefully everyone enjoyed listening to you here on SBR Shootaround for the first time. And if you get a chance to have a look at some Slammers games over the next month, get out there and have a look because I, th- I think you've well and truly got your team on the right track. And I'm, I'm really, I really like what you're doing. I think you're doing things the right way and I, I wish you all the best with it. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Have a great afternoon. Okay, welcome back to SBL Shootaround, and I hope you all enjoyed that chat with one of, I mean, it's not just one of WA's all-time greats, one of Australia's all-time great basketball players, Mark Worthington. Massive honour for us to be joined by him on SBL Shootaround, so a big thank you to Wertho for, for coming on and being so generous with his time. Now, let's get straight into round six now in the West Coast Classic, Ben, and all of a sudden we're into the last month. We're starting the last month of the season, the build-up to the final. So any team now that has any chance of making finals, every game they play takes on extra significance. And one of those is at Belmont Oasis on Friday night, the last home game of the season for the Perth Redbacks, and it just happens to be against the Calamundra Eastern Suns. And I would expect, you know, the Redbacks to come out and, you know, they are a team that's... um not loaded up, but they are taking this uh, very, very seriously, and they've they've had some close results and some good results. Not a lot separating the teams on the ladder, as far as you know, they've got a couple of extra wins. But um, look, I would say that for us, if we're at our very best, I think we maybe could um, could could get it in an upset. Yeah, it'd be a good scalp for you to take, and it would certainly upset their finals hopes. But I think the Redbacks will be too strong. Now down at Eden, speaking of Mark Worthington, he'll be leading his team into battle. The Southwest Slammers against the Willerton Tigers. Yeah, look, the Slammers seem to be doing really well on that first first one of a doubleheader. Um, yeah, they do. So uh, if they can sort of, you know, build on what they did last weekend, they, they should get close. But I think with the consistency that we're seeing from the Tigers and, and what's on the line for them at the moment, um, given if they can get a couple of these wins against the teams below them, they could propel themselves into that top four, which should be a huge a huge thing for them. So I'll, I'll go the Tigers this one on Friday night. Yeah, I think Wellington too. All of a sudden, if they win that game, and depending on the results of this next game, they could find themselves in the top four by the end of the night. So that game I'm talking about, Jindalup Wolves at home to the to the league-leading Parallax Hawks. Yeah, I think uh, if if... No Roberts and uh, no Huntington on a Friday on a Friday, on Friday night yep. could be could be too much for for the Wolves to sort of make up. So yeah, Hawks for me in this one. 
Yeah, I think the Hawks as, as well. Even though I tipped the Wolves last week to win the whole thing, things can change very quickly. And, and right now, they're, they're in a real fight to just make the finals because if they lose this, they'll be on three losses. And we've said all along, three or four losses is probably going to be you know as many as you can, can take to still play finals. So things are getting interesting. Um, Saturday night, Gerald and Buccaneers back at home. They stay at home now. They played all of their six road games to start off. The West Coast Classic, now they don't have to jump on that bus again. They they host the Coburn Cougars. Yeah, look, um, if they can, can string it together, even with um, a, a full complement back, I would assume Saver and uh, Luke Travers and, and Jared Holmes would be back for this one. But I think the Bucks are starting to, to build a bit of momentum up there. And if they can get a few few ins, I'm actually going to tip the buck uh, on the road up there. Yeah, I'm going. With, I'm sticking with the Bucks as well, especially if Aaron Ralph comes back to a winning team. Um, I think they'll be they'll be too much on their home floor. Now down in Mandra, I hope I hope Aaron Draher can get his team up and firing to be competitive in this one. Mandra Magic hosting the Warwick Senators. Yeah, I think uh, the Senators are just going to have too much firepower all over the floor for this one. Yeah, I agree. I just hope it's not one of those blowouts that we have been seeing. This next one. Could be the toughest one of the whole weekend to tip. Goldfields Giants at home to the Lakeside Lightning. Going to have to go the Giants up there. I yeah. think, you know, I would suspect that one of Vigor or Ferguson make the road trip up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a big ask for the for the young Lakeside big um, to match up against the Twin Towers up there. So, um, and I think it's a real danger game for those Lakeside guards as well. That, that, that three-headed monster that they've got for the Goldfields Giants is playing really well. So, and I think they're starting to build something pretty special up there. They would expect a pretty raucous crowd. And, and I think, yeah, the Giants on the on the road uh, with Lakeside on the road up there for me. I really like what the Giants are doing as well. So I'm going to stick with, with the home team in that one too. Now, the Prairie Lakes Hawks, they'll be at home to the East Perth Eagles. Yeah, Hawks are getting this one. Too, too much balance and too much firepower for, for the Eagles. Yeah, can't argue. Rockingham Flames now. At home to the Joondalup Wolves. Very interesting to see who plays for the Flames. You'd suggest if they get Godfrey and Dernan back, they're a chance. If they don't have them, this will be tough. But but again, if there's no Roberts or Huntington on the other end, it's it makes things very interesting. So this is a this is a tricky one. Yeah, really hard one. Where again, when we don't know who's in and who's out, you know, Roberts and, and Huntington there make a big difference. But just given that you know both teams are perhaps underhanded, and I'll just make that tip solely on that that one. Being down in Rockingham and knowing. It's not exactly a uh, shooter's gym for the uh, visiting teams. I'll go with the Flames down there oh, for this one. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with the Wolves. Now, the last one. Calamander Eastern Suns and the Southwest Slammers. Yeah, I think the boys will be up and about for this one. They've had a, uh, probably had a good hit out on Friday night, regardless of the result there. But I think they'll be ready and, ready and prime for, for this one on Saturday against the Slammers. Okay, there we go. That's round six in the West Coast Classic. No Sunday game this round for the first time for the tournament. That's good and bad news. It means I get one less game to watch for the weekend, but it also means I don't have to go to a game on Sunday, so it's not all bad news. But it's been another really fun show, Ben. Anytime you start off talking about the personality of the year, Luke Franklin, it's always going to be a fun show. We have plenty to cover in the... A lot of news now floating around in the West Coast Classic. All of a sudden, every player availability, every win and loss is taking on extra significance. So there's been plenty to talk about. And, of course, to be able to speak to Mark Worthington and for him to give us as much time as he did was was fantastic. So I hope you've all enjoyed another episode here of SBR Shootaround. I'm Chris Pike, and I'll wrap it up for this week and leave you in the trusty hands of Ben Etridge.
Thanks, Chris. And yeah, really enjoying where we're at in the season right now. Um, show 15 for us and um, halfway through you know, the, the West Coast Classic for, for all the teams. And just really would urge people to, to get out and, and watch the superstars that we do have in the league, um, regardless of how, if they're here for the whole season or just another couple of weeks. And, and also a chance to see the emerging superstars that are going to be the backbone of our league for a, a very, very long time to come. So um, get out there, support your local teams, vote Luke Franklin Personality of the Year and um, hopefully the Suns get two wins on the weekend. 